Heavenly Father, as we begin this time, Lord, we just, uh, we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom. And we, we pray that you would lead us in all truth, uh, that you would equip us to be able to observe um, people in our sessions or while we're discipling them to, to be able to identify that they are, they are becoming upset and being able to diffuse them to the glory of God. Um, and so, Father, help us as we learn something that some people will say can be caught but not taught. Um, Lord, we, we pray for your help in this. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, about a year ago, I am sitting at an In-N-Out burger, which, by the way, it is better than Whataburger. Let's just be done. Okay, okay. I'm, glad, I'm glad we got that out of the way. We are at a biblical counseling conference. So, <laughs> so, so I'm going to out your, maybe one of your pastors. I'm going to out one of your pastors. Keith Palmer is the guy who took me there, okay? And so as me and Keith are devouring a delicious burger and good fries and a milkshake that are all wonderful to the glory of God, um, he says, you know, Andrew, I, I want you to, to teach on biblical de-escalation. And I'm like, what? Are you sure you want me to teach that class? And he's like, yeah, after being a cop, I think you would be really helpful to do this. Okay, here I go. So that is my my kind of intro to this. And, and to give you a little bit of background, I was a police officer with the Los Angeles Police Department for just under nine years. Um, I worked uh, East L.A. I worked traffic. I worked with detectives. I worked undercover narcotics. Um, my wife is very glad that my beard is no longer. Uh, it is this clean-shaven face and not a dreadlocked beard that I had. And maybe one day I'll have a picture of that in this, in this talk. But one of the things that I learned really quickly was how to read people and how to talk to them. So there were cops out there, maybe you've met one of these guys, I, I hope you haven't, that wanted to... Um, get their point across with these, right? They wanted to make sure you knew who was in power, who was in authority, and this is how they were going to do it, with these two hands. Well, me and my partner, um, we used to joke that both of us made one good cop. And <laughs> so we weren't these guys. We were much quicker to kind of philosophize and, and try to talk someone into handcuffs. And we used to call it verbal judo. So we would much rather not get in a fist fight with you, but be real nice or be real silly and make you laugh. And then all of a sudden you look down and your hands are in handcuffs. So that's how we did it. Um, and it was because of this. And Keith, I think just as he's eating a burger, really liking these stories was like, you teach this class. Now the Lord has given me opportunity, not just in the police force, but in biblical counseling to realize, uh Oh, like something is happening here. This person is getting angry. Uh, and I need to realize we need to calm this situation down pretty quickly uh, to the glory of God. So this session is called Biblical De-Escalation, and the three things that I, I want to give to you uh, today are going to be how you're going to observe it, how you're going to identify it, which I think is important, and then, Lord willing, give you an opportunity to diffuse it. Now, I really wanted to do this, and my wife convinced me otherwise because she is my better half but I was going to make you guys try to defuse me. I was going to have like all of you guys leave and then I was going to be sitting at a table and make you guys come in like one at a time and do a really hands-on thing. So if they ever invite me back to teach, I think I'm going to do that next time. Um, but with that being said, let's jump in to, to what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so biblical de-escalation. Well, what is it? Well, we, we don't actually see the word de-escalation in the Bible. Um, do we see the word Trinity in the Bible? Oh, that's one of my favorite conversations to have. No, but the, the theology is clearly there, right? The, the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, clearly there. We understand that. So we need to realize, okay, biblical de-escalation isn't actually in the Bible. 
But we are going to, or at least the word isn't, but we're going to see is that we do have situations where things either escalated or de-escalated. So really simple in your blanks. This one has much more blanks than my last one to keep you awake right before lunch because I know you got the grumbly and the tummies and you want to go eat that yummy food. So to escalate, this is kind of a duh moment, right? Is to increase an extent, volume, number, amount, intensity, or scope. Okay, that's what to escalate is. Now, who would like to read Judges 1 through 6? You got that? Nice and loud. <laughs> the men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zephon and said to Jephthah, Why should did you cross over to fight against the Amorites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Amorites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Amorites. And the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up against me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? And he said, No. He would say, Say Shibboleth. And they could not pronounce it right. They seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Thank you, dear brother. And you can tell I had him read that because I did not want to pronounce all those names. You did a wonderful job, brother. Thank you. We see a very clear escalation, right? We see, hey, man, why didn't you call us to go fight these guys? And it didn't turn out into like, hey, everybody, let's just calm down. By the way, that never works, okay? If you walk into a charge situation and you do one of these... Let's just all calm down for one minute. That's like throwing oil on a fire. I should know. I tried it multiple times. Everybody just calm down. And then people are punching me like that. That never worked in the police department and it won't work in your counseling either. Okay. But we see that there was this uh, incident where, where they were coming at him all charged up. And instead of de-escalating this, it was like, and now you're going to die, okay? Now, that's typically not how your situations are going to go in a counseling session, but I'm just trying to give you a view of what biblical de-escalation looks like. All right, so that's escalating. Now, we come to to de-escalate is to, obviously, the same definition, decrease in extent, volume, number, amount, intensity, or scope. All right, we're going to go back to Judges. So somebody read for me, Judges 8, verses 1 through 3. Anybody else with those really wonderful names to pronounce? Thank you. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing you have done to us, not calling us, when you went to fight against Midian? And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, into your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided. Okay. Ooh, this is within the same couple of chapters, right? Within four chapters of each other, we see a de-escalation and we see a very clear escalation. Um, another one for you guys to do is homework on your own time uh, would be Genesis 18, 22 through, 20, or through 33. And if you guys are astute, you'll remember that this happened to be when Sodom was about to go and be destroyed, right? And what happened? When it was about to be destroyed, the men were about to go into Sodom. Who went before the Lord? Okay. And what did Abraham do? Yeah. And how did he do it? Lord, if there's, you know, this many people who are righteous, will you not do it? And the Lord said, yes. 
Lord, if there are this many people righteous, will, will you not do it? Right? And we see, now again, I'm going to give you a definition in a second of biblical de-escalation. That's not what happened here because God was not going to be sinning by doing this. This was God's righteousness to pour out his wrath on this sinful place. But we do see God being here and God going, okay, and coming down again, not because he needed to be diffused. Okay. This, this is only applicable to us, not to the Lord, but we do see the Lord deescalating in a situation like this. Okay. So what is biblical deescalation? Now you'll see, I have an asterisk here because I in no way, shape or form am telling you that I am the leading authority on biblical deescalation. I am a learner. I am a, a man who's studying the scriptures just like you guys. And I'm coming to it like that. So here is my working definition. Biblical de-escalation is the ability to confront and or decrease the opportunity for explosive sin in a conversation or situation resulting in the identification and diffusion of sin to the glory of God. That's a mouthful. And I understand that, but I'm trying to kind of dot my I's and cross my T's here. And what I think we're trying to do in de-escalating a situation, because it might be a conversation or it might just be a situation that you're in that you're reading. And the reality is, as people escalate, explosive sin comes to the forefront, things that will pour out of the overflow of someone's mouth. And so as you identify this, you are going to try to confront it or decrease it and hopefully diffuse it to the glory of God. Okay, so we have a couple scriptures here to look at. Um, If you are wondering, where do I go to have a helpful understanding of how communication uh, is important in God's eyes, man, the Proverbs are your friend. Um, they are so helpful. So I'm going to read, uh, actually, I'll let somebody else read. Um, somebody else read for me. Uh, these, they should be up there. All those Proverbs, starting with Proverbs 15.1, and then I'll read James uh, 1, 19 through 21. Who's my reader for Proverbs? Okay. Okay, I'm going to pause you. I do this in counseling all the time. I tell somebody to read something. I'm like, wait, we've got to sit there for a minute. Guys, realize the way you respond to people is either going to increase them or if you are doing it to the glory of God can help them realize, oh, I need to put away this anger that is building up inside of me just by the way you respond, not only in speech, but by your demeanor. And my brother back here, who, who, Lord willing, will be going to a police department soon, he's going to be learning the power of how you present yourself, right? And how people read you. You have that command presence, is what they taught me in the academy, right? Um, that they'll see you and they know, well, he's not messing around. But you don't do that in a counseling session. You're not trying to you know, scare people into uh, what you're teaching them. But you want them to realize, hey, this situation's getting a little bit out of hand. Okay, sorry. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spells folly. Good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Time out. Soothing tongue, right? This is able to be the tree of life to somebody. That is amazing. That is so helpful for us to realize that our words matter. How we respond matters. Okay, keep going. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, strife, but the slow anger calms the dispute. That one you can highlight and memorize because that one will be very important to you. As someone gets angry, and if you've been around angry people, you know that that can actually be kind of infectious, right? Uh, as they become angry, it almost is like a tractor beam pulling you in and you want to be angry too, maybe get out ahead of them um, and be more angry than they are to kind of calm them down. And scripture is telling you being slow to anger is actually what we're looking for here. All right, so James chapter one, verses 19 through 21. You guys, I'm sure are familiar with these verses, okay? Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I think we actually see much of my definition in James 1, 19 through 21. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify this explosive situation that is before us. We're seeing it happen. We're not allowing ourselves to be pulled into it. We are going to be slow to speak. We're going to be slow to anger. And then we're actually going to use the implanted word. We're going to use the word of God to help this person come down from where they're at. Okay, so let's keep going then. We're going to experience this, or how are we going to experience this in a counseling context, okay? So for you guys who are doing biblical counseling at a church, or you're meeting with your family or your friends and you're doing biblical counseling or discipleship, where specifically are you going to come into context with the need to do biblical de-escalation? Well, quite frankly, it's going to happen with anger. You're going to come into contact with this with angry people. Now, asterisk here, you could come into contact with de-escalation on a whole other variety of issues. Um, I, I would say, uh, one that's really clear that I'm not going to talk about at length today, and it's not even in your notes, but is even with someone who's considering, um, self-harm or, or suicide, right? Or, or killing themselves. You're going to see that you are going to need to use de-escalation in a situation like that, because that is an explosive situation. That is an explosive, sinful situation. So you can use the same things that you're going to learn from here and apply it to that. And I've walked through that. In fact, Keith uh, Palmer, my supervisor, when I was getting certified, that was one of the first sessions we did together with someone from outside of our church came and I was able to counsel them through this. And that was very clearly a situation where you're like, oh, wow. This can lead to something really destructive really quickly, and we need to realize how to diffuse this situation. Now, but today we're going to focus mostly, primarily on anger, okay? So there are a bunch of verses here, and I want to read a bunch of them. Okay, Uh, I I don't want to just give you all these verses and and then just leave them floating in the ethereal universe and not talk about them. So we are going to talk about some of these verses today. So let's start then in the beginning with Proverbs chapter 14. Okay, Proverbs 14 verses 16 and 17. This is what we read. The one who is wise is cautious. And turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hatred, or is hated. I just want you to see that the Proverbs again and again are going to speak in a negative way of someone who's quick-tempered, who's hot-tempered, who's angry, who's allowing his anger to be um, kind of the overflow of his heart. Proverbs again and again is going to hit on this subject. Okay, let's go to Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So again, a hot-tempered man is going to stir up strife. He is going to be angry. And okay, who has counseled somebody who is dealing with anger? That's a lot of hands. Okay, and every one of those sessions is not going to be just politely sitting across from you, smiling at you, taking all of that, right? That's a head shake. Yeah, I know. I've sat there where I've seen someone's face literally turn red, right? Uh, They are almost, back in the police force, I'd hear people grinding their teeth at me. That's something you don't forget, uh, hearing that noise of the teeth kind of going, rolling over each other. Ugh. now, I hope that is something you don't think about for the rest of the day, but it, it is, it is weird. Um, so you can, you can observe these people becoming angry, right? And we see that scripture says that angry people are going to vent this anger. So you're going to come into contact with it. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you can't control your anger, if it is just exposing itself, it's the overflow of your heart, you are going to see really quickly how that person is just going to fall into folly. 
All right, I'm keep going because we have a long time with each other this afternoon before lunch. Uh, so I'm going to get everything out of it. Proverbs 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So as you're hearing these Proverbs, just write them down even as a note for yourself. Okay, in my counseling session, when someone's doing this, the Proverbs tell me, right, that I am to quietly hold it back in some cases of application, right? Uh, We'll we'll see other ways in how we can kind of attack this. Now, one of, I think, the most helpful things to go to when you're dealing with anger and understanding this uh, is going to be James again, right? And and I'm sure you guys have gone through James chapter 4. Maybe some of you have it tattooed onto you because you know this is where we get to the desires and passions of the heart, Right? And those are the things that we're trying to uproot and we're trying to get out. But James chapter 4, starting off in verse 1, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Okay, This is exactly what we're dealing with with angry people. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So, James is helping us identify when people are angry and fighting, there's a reason. And as biblical counselors, our job, or just good disciplers, or just faithful Christians, we are to try to help this person figure out, why are you so mad? I'll just say, asking somebody in a situation can actually really work. When they get mad, I'm going to talk about that later, but when they get mad and they're fuming, to just slow down and say, brother, are you mad? Why are you becoming angry? And man, if that person has the Holy Spirit, that can be some of the most convicting time you ever spend with a human being. Now, as a cop, I would say, bro, you mad? And and guys would laugh, but that would give me an in to now continue the conversation, right? So someone who is looking to quite literally kill me, I could use that verbal judo, use a soft answer to turn away his wrath. And I'll tell you stories. I actually called my partner, and I was like, Ollie, my police partner. I called my partner and said, Ollie, Give me some stories of de-escalation. I'm teaching a bunch of people uh, on de-escalation. Help me. And he's like, bro, you are the verbal judo guy. Like, I'm the guy that, you know, could write the papers, could shoot really well. Confession, I wasn't the best shot. And he's like, you would chase people and you would talk them into handcuffs. You're the guy. You do it. I'm like, I don't remember. Help me. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if we, we can get a couple of those stories that make their way out in this, in this teaching. Okay. Uh, Jim Neuheiser. He is a dear brother who can teach you much in this area. He's got a super um, easy-to-read commentary on the Proverbs. If you don't have it, such a helpful tool. And there, you can read it in the most tiniest (laughs) uh, font ever imaginable. It's in your notes, too, so you can read it there. Um, But uh, we have such help from Dr. Neuheiser. He says, angry people wrongfully play God, pouring out their vengeance on those who have offended them. Their anger is not a righteous zeal for the glory of God, but a passion, right? There's that James 4, to vindicate themselves. Their angry words and acts express the murder that resides in their heart. The angry person is out of control and vulnerable to many other transgressions. And again, he uses that proverb, right? Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Anger impairs judgment. And then he uses a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Um, Some of you, again, uh, as you learned in my first teaching, I'm I'm really bad at giving you a resource list, but there's one for you. Another one is uprooting anger, right? Uh, You guys familiar with Dr. Jones's work on anger? You know, some kind of go back to this being like, this is the book on anger. Um, Sure. Uh, Yeah, it's it's really good. And, And I love his definition. Our anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. 
Okay, So there's so much in that definition to unpack, but he is helpful in realizing that anger is a whole person's response. Okay, As human beings, you are going to see the whole person's response as you're interacting with them. Um, And it's going to be your job, and I hope to give you tools to see it, right? So we're going to know what it is. We're going to be able to see it, and then we're going to be able to diffuse it. I used three other words in the beginning, but those are the same type of ideas. So what types of counseling cases are we going to see this in? Okay, you can read your notes and cheat, uh, but, but let me know. What kind of counseling cases have you guys had that you've dealt with angry people? Anybody? Marriage. Marriage. Wow. Okay, so I'll go back to Copland for a second. Do you know the most dangerous calls for a police officer were domestic violence and then traffic stops because nobody likes being pulled over. But domestic violence, it's because it's so, that whole situation is so charged. It's white hot with heat, right? And so, no, you're not knocking on their door and showing up for, you know, a domestic dispute. No, you've asked them to come into an office and sit across a table from you and tell you about what they're dealing with. You bet you bet that's going to be hot and could get real hot in a second. Great. That's actually the first one I had. Okay. Anybody else dealing with anger? Yes. Family counseling. Number two, right? Yes. Family counseling, right? Don't tell me how to raise my kids, right? Uh, yeah, I'm doing it this way, but you don't got any right to tell me about that. Whew. Oh, yeah. Those teens. We've got some young people here, so I'm looking at them. But these ones are like just near and dear to my heart. I love them so much. Okay. Um, yeah, they can be. And in fact, my the experience that I had in biblical counseling where I was counseling a family uh, with a rebellious teen was the most explosive situation I was ever trying to handle with three different people who are all getting mad in three different ways and being like, I am out of my depth here. Like, I need some help, right? If I was a cop, I'd just start screaming at people, you get in that room, you're in handcuffs, and you're going over here, right? But I am their pastor who loves them. (laughs) You guys laugh too hard at that. I'm trying to, right? I'm trying to shepherd their souls here. Family counseling. Thank you, sister. Uh, What else? Anybody else in, in counseling? Yes? Addiction, yes, right? Because you're coming after them, which is something that has completely consumed their life. It's been a life-dominating sin. It's something that they've worshipped for a long time. Oh, sister, great. I'm going to put that in there for the next time I teach this. Yes? I taught a Bible study in jail. Oh. And uh, I learned really quick that everybody there is calm, cool, and collected, but this far below the surface, Mm. there is rage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a... And just personal, any, any little thing that you think, that's nothing. Oh, it's something. Oh, yeah. Ooh, thank you. That's a great, great example. Yes, sir? Foster care. Foster care. Oh, brother. Yes. And, and counseling those dear ones who are in it and what they've experienced can be such uh, an escalating situation as they have been pushing down all of their experiences for most of their life. Yeah. Thank, thank you. That's really good. Uh, we'll get two more. Abuse. Abuse. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Again, uh, kind of the same context, right? I'm, I'm connecting those two very clearly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how, how dare you? All right. One more. Last one. Ooh. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. Love your neighbor, right? Uh, that, that is one of Christ's very clear commands. Yes. Um, reconciliation is another one. Um, if you're trying to reconcile two people, you find out really quickly, no, they're the person that has this all wrong, not me, right? We go to Matthew 7 really quickly, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of theirs. But you see real quick, that's a white, hot, heart, you know, charge situation. Church discipline. So if your pastor's in here, you know that that gets real hairy real quick, right? And um, although this is given to us by God, um, to his glory to help this person realize that they are in unrepentant sin and what we're trying to see is for them to confess and come back to Christ. This can be so charged, 
so quick. Yes. So those were great examples. I will steal them later. Uh, and the first time I'll give you credit for it. The second time I'll say I've heard it said. And the third time I'll say I've said this for years. So <laughs> here we go. Um, so what are we looking for? I stole that, by the way, from Kevin DeYoung. He said it at a uh, together or no, uh, the gospel cult. No, I don't remember what it was anymore. <laughs> See? See, I'm already doing it. Yeah. But I said it was Kevin DeYoung's. All right, good. Um, so what are we looking for? We're looking for halo data. Oh, so some of our, our OGs in biblical counseling are like, yeah, OGs means original gangster. I use that language a lot. Okay. But some of our OGs in biblical counseling are like, yep, I've heard of that one before. Who said this? Jay Adams. In fact, I dug around trying to find out where did Jay Adams get this terminology? Did he just make it up? And I called one of my professors, Dr. John Babbler, and I was like, Dr. Babbler, help me. I'm teaching this thing. He's like, oh, great. Yeah, awesome. I'm like, where did Jay Adams come up with this? Because he knows uh, or knew uh, Jay Adams. And uh, he was like, honestly, I have no idea. And there is no, there is no worry where you can find it that it didn't come from Jay Adams. He's like, so I think you're safe saying it came from Jay Adams. So you've heard it from John Babbler, and now you've heard it from me, and I can't find the citation, but if you find it, you can let me know. So halo data, what does that mean? So this is a term by Jay Adams. Halo data refers to information that is related by the counselee through nonverbal communication. So this is what they are showing you, not telling you, okay? So you guys also know that man is a dichotomy, right? Uh, you've heard this maybe in your uh, track one, meaning we are both inner man and outer man, and they are relate and affect each other, right? So we have Proverbs 4.23, which is what? Come on, somebody has this memorized. Yeah, 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 you're right. Right. Yes, absolutely. Great job. Right. And when you look into the Hebrew there, it's keep your heart with all keeping. Right. It's like keep your heart uh, because from it flow the springs of life. What about Luke 6, 43 through 45? You guys know this one by heart? What was that, ma'am? Amen, sister. That's a high five to you out of the abundance of the heart. Right. The mouth speaks. So we're seeing that these two things are related. Uh, they, are, they are communicating with each other. Our inner man and our outer man, our actions are telling about the condition of our heart. Okay? So it is through the data that the counselee will show you through actions versus what they'll tell you. And it's always fun. Oh, that's, that's a blank. Look at that. I've got that for you. We'll show you through actions versus what they will tell you. If you miss a blank, you can always come up to me afterwards and I'll, and I'll help you out. Uh, Jay Adams, he says, one communicates primarily in two ways, non-verbally and verbally, by what kindergarten teachers call the show and tell methods. Two kinds of data and counseling that correspond roughly to, do, to, do, to these two methods may be called core data and halo data. So I don't know about you, but going through all my biblical counseling stuff, there's wonderful examples of gathering core data, right? We've got PDIs, multiple different types of PDIs. And then we get like, and remember halo data. And there's like a line saying, and be able to read people, right? They're, they're going to show you some actions. And then that was it. And I'm like, okay, uh, so how much stock am I putting into halo data? I, I actually want to make an argument that you need to put a lot of stock into halo data, especially in a diffusing a situation. You need to be quick to read somebody and say, I just said something about a certain sin and they got super cold, right? Or they got super hot. And what is that telling me? I'm getting close, right? Uh, we've all been in a dentist chair, right? And when they hit the nerve, you're like, right? Or at least I am. And they've got to like sedate me really quick because I get out of control. But that's what is happening when somebody's, what's that? That's what I'm saying. Halo is something literally that Jay Adams made up to describe this outer man, which is why I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. No, no, it's not an acronym. Uh, and, and, and if you guys know that and have it, please tell me. He says there's a military term for it that stands for high altitude. Yeah. 
Well, yes, if we are, if we are part of the Navy SEALs or the Rangers or Green Beret, you know Halo data. You and me should talk offline. That'll be fun. Um, but you know. Yes. Right. And so it, we're looking at things that are around the body because, you know, it's nonverbal. So we got to be looking at the body. I mean, that's how I connected it. Amen. And if only Jay Adams would have said that for us. <laughs> well, you know, but you know what? He, he gave us so much. So, uh, yeah. Secretary, so I Look at that. Said, you know? Oh, praise God. That's so cool. You and me need to talk offline, too. That's really neat. All right, cool. Well, so when we're doing this, though, let's see. Okay, good. We're in the right place. When we're looking for halo data, what are we looking for in this halo data? Well, well, typically, there are two types of halo data, okay? There is nonverbal behavior, and then, well, okay, I won't get there yet. I'll tell you the next one here in a second. So this nonverbal behavior is going to be body language, right? All right, let's get some readers. Uh, Genesis 3, 6 through 8, first hand to raise. Justin, my man. All right. Uh, then Genesis 4, verses 3 through 7. Okay, I don't know your name, but thank you. And then uh, we'll do Proverbs 6, 12 and 13. Ah, my other man. All right, cool. Let's, let's go. So Justin, we're all waiting on you. There's absolutely no pressure, but everyone's watching you. <laughs> so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was, it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay. Is there more? Can you read the next verse? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord Lord God among the trees of the garden. Thank you, brother. So what happened? They sinned, and in doing so, they hid, right? This is, this is clearly showing us from the Bible nonverbal behavior of something that they're trying to hide, okay? Thank you, Justin. All right, Genesis 4, 3 through 7. So it came about in the course of time they came brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the first things of his crop in their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his, his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Amen. Thank you for reading that for us. His countenance fell. His body was giving off language. And of course, the Lord knows his heart, right? But for us, what a wonderful description that the Lord sought for us to know in his inspired word. His body reacted to what happened to him. Okay? There is nonverbal behavior going on like crazy when we are counseling people. All right, who is my Proverbs person? Okay. Um, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil. Okay. Thank you, brother. Yes, the winking of the eyes. I mean, typically, I don't know, in counseling, if you guys get people winking at you and things like that. But but the reality is, like, we're picking up what the Proverbs are putting down, right? Like, there are tells. There are things that the body is doing to help us know. Now, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you, right, paralinguistic communication. So if you if you look at my next kind of number three on your actual notes, you'll see I just listed a bunch of stuff to you, Right? Facial expressions, hands gripping a chair or their legs, hands and fists. Now, Lord willing, you're not getting the hand and fists, but I knew real quick when I was out in the street, when the hands turned into fists, I stepped back and I got in a position where I'm like, oh no, this is about to become a fist fight, right? So Lord willing, you're not getting that in your, in your counseling session, but if you are, be advised, uh, that's not good, right? Uh, crossed arms, tapping feet, pointing fingers, furrowed brows, my favorite with my eyebrows, rolling eyes, clenched jaws, grinding of teeth, 
face visibly turning red. That actually happens. Um, sweat forming on their head, uh, widening of their eyes. Like all of these things are showing you, uh oh, something's happening here. Um, and, and then we get uh, another quote by Jay Adams. Halo data may be derived not only from visual and auditory cues, but also from tactile, clammy handshake, right? Or uh, the odor of something coming off of somebody, right? Oh, this person's been drinking before they showed up to counseling. That could actually happen to you, right? And, and realize what, what you're going to be dealing with because of that. Okay. The second thing is paralinguistic communication, everyone's favorite word, um, and I know you guys know that by heart, but really this is going to be voice and tone, okay? So when someone's cool, calm, and collected, their voice is typically like this, right? Yeah, oh, I'm struggling this week, everything's okay though, like I'm pursuing the Lord, I'm trying you know, to be inside of my um, spiritual disciplines versus why would you talk to me like that? No, that's not true. I've never done that before. Why would you say that? Right? I, I don't mean to yell at you guys. I love you guys. But I'm just trying to show you like you, you'll hear that and you'll see it. So let me read a couple things from Proverbs that will just, you know, biblically, I'm not, I'm not trying to psychologize you guys here. And notice I'm not quoting anything from that. I'm trying to stay grounded in scripture here, right? Proverbs 12, verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, so there is a way you can say things that will communicate to people, right? Uh, another one is Proverbs twenty nine eleven. Did we just read that? Yeah, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So that giving, that yelling, that really loud communication, um, you're going to see, oh, how they're saying something is going to help me identify um, that something's wrong here, Right? Voice pitch gets higher and faster. Voice gets louder and more pronounced. Counselee yells. That's an obvious one. Or here's a different one that you can tell that you actually have um, some communication going on is when their voice actually gets quieter and trails off. They're disinterested. They don't want to talk about that anymore. Guess what? You've hit another nerve. Okay? If that, that's another way of escalation, although it doesn't seem as scary or loud or, you know, uh, overflowing when they are going to be the quiet bottle up and then explode at another time type. You need to be able to see that too. Okay. So, okay, Andrew, you've talked a lot <laughs> about all the signs and what we're looking for. We get it. We can see something. So how do we de-escalate a situation in the counseling context? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. I've given you the four S's of de-escalation. If you guys can find something better, please share it with me. But this is, this is what I got, okay? Number one is situational awareness. This is something that I had to, as a police officer, know. I had to know my situation or I could die at any moment. Now, that wasn't your guys' reality in the counseling session, but you are still needing to have situational awareness all the same. So number one, you need to be observing the halo data, right? This is under situational awareness. Halo data will reveal information throughout your counseling session. How the counselee relaxed to lines of questioning, a confrontation of sin, and how you respond to them. Both the nonverbal and the paralinguistic will be very helpful to realize that the counselee is becoming angry. So you need to be able to recognize it. Um, number two, in that same vein, be cognizant of your own halo data. You are not the only person in the room who is reading body language. Okay? When they see you become afraid, or if you, they struck a nerve on you. That's happened to me, right? Where it was like, ooh, that hurt. Like, why did you say that to me? That hurt my feelings. And now I'm a little crossing my arms and my eyebrows are coming together, which is a big tell. Um, right? They're, they're reading you. So how you're sitting. You slouched in your desk, right? Are you leaning over like you're about to attack them, right? Uh, how you're speaking, how you're listening to the counselee. Uh, you may be the reason that the counselee is becoming upset if you're not showing them that you care. 
So just, you know, I, I have Matthew 7, 1 through 5, the idea of take out the log from your own eye before you're going to take the speck out of their own. I also have Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, helping you to realize that they're not the only one who has sin. So are you. And it could be deceiving you in that moment as you're trying to counsel them. So be aware of your own halo data. Okay, the second S is self-control. Okay, we read a lot in the Proverbs that the person without self-control is the one who gives full vent to their anger. So a biblical counselor must be able to restrain ourselves from falling into sin in the moment of de-escalation. Self-control can be defined as, this is really easy, right? Controlling the passions instead of being controlled by them. So that might be something that you need to help this person see, not quite yet, okay? But for you, you need to realize, I'm getting angry, Or I'm getting scared, okay? I've been scared a lot. (laughs) Just because you're a police officer doesn't mean you're not scared. I was freaked out a lot of the time uh, that I was doing my job. And and sometimes I get freaked out when I'm sitting across from somebody and they say something really heavy, right? Or, Or really scary. It's like, oh man, I need to control myself. I need to pray in this moment, ask for God's guidance, and then I need to be able to speak a word to them that will be like a cool drink of water, right? I've got plenty of verses for you guys to read about self-control. Please go do that. But the two things that I wanted to focus in on in self-control, that's not true, three things that I want to focus in on in self-control are going to be fear, anger, and then as Dr. Babbler helped remind me, fight, flight, or freeze. That's all one. So number one, fear. In a situation that might become verbally explosive, it is okay to feel fear of de-escalating a situation. However, we are reminded that we are called to speak the truth in love. Uh, Have you guys seen Jim Neuheiser's Four Rules of Communication? I hand that out in like every one of my counseling sessions with when it's going to be more than one person. Uh, Usually marital counseling, it's like one of the first things I hand out to them in a little... Um, our secretary did this for me. She's amazing. Charlene, thank you if you ever listen to this. Um, and, and I give these to them, but one of the things is there's an imperative for us to speak. And we're actually supposed to speak the truth. So that's what Ephesians 14, or Ephesians 4, 15 and 25 are telling you. You have an imperative, a command to speak the truth to somebody and you're to do that in love. Okay, so the reality is, yes, you can be fearful, but you must realize in that situation, as a biblical counselor, you're called to speak. And we're running out of time rapidly, so I'm going to start going faster. Anger. When observing what Robert Jones has stated, uh, our anger is the whole person's active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. It is easy for us to to react to their whole person active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil with the counselor doing the same exact thing, right? So be mindful. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 3, really helpful here, okay? Um, I'm going to read this for us. Some of you are probably already there. Way to go. All right, Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, not talking to elders here, right? Not talking to some sort of echelon of spiritual elite, just talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then what does he say? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, Okay, so we have to realize when we're dealing with an angry person, we're going to need to be gentle with them, but also we're going to have to keep watch over ourselves. Now, the fight, flight, or freeze. This gets a little bit psychology uh, light here because you've probably heard this in other situations, but the reality is when you come into a situation that might escalate, there are three reactions that typically happen. You are going to be the guy who dives or gal dives right in head first and wants to fight out the situation. Or you're going to be the person that does. Right? Or you're going to be the person who's like, I'm out. See ya. Like I'm getting out of the counseling room. This is freaking me out. Okay. I'm just saying that's typically things that happen. I I trained with a guy who had uh, more years of experience on me, and when it got really ugly in a situation, this dude dove under my legs. Um, not my old partner. 
I'm just going to put it out there. If he ever listens to this, it wasn't you, Ollie. You were awesome. But another guy dove in between my legs. And I'm like, this man went through the LAPD Academy. We're getting shot at. And he's hiding underneath my legs. Like, you're not supposed to do that, dude. You're right. But this is what happens when we're faced with this kind of craziness, right? So these are common responses for people in, content, or in conflict. So friends, I'm telling you this so you can laugh, but also so you can realize your tendency. What do you typically do in this area? Are you the one that wants to duke it out? Are you the one that typically is like, I don't know what to do? Uh, or are you the one who's like, I'm getting out of here because I'm uncomfortable, right? You have to realize where you tend to be here And part of that self-control is not allowing that passion to control you. All right, number three in the four S's of de-escalation is scriptural awareness. You were like, I was waiting for the Bible. Yes, right? I already told you from Ephesians 4 that we're called to take action. We're called to speak. We're commanded to speak the truth in love to our neighbor. Number two, the way we respond matters. So big. That's why I read to you Proverbs 15.1. Um, here's a quote. Who's this from? Oh, yeah. Alan Ross in his uh, commentary on the Proverbs. The way one answers another person will have an effect on the response. This antithetical proverb, he's talking about 15.1, stresses that it is wise to use a gentle answer to turn away wrath. More than merely gentle or soft, the idea seems to be conciliatory. Bleh, sorry, you get it. It's right there in your notes. I.e., an answer that restores good temper and reasonable. Okay, that's a lot right there that you could probably just take this from my teaching today and it would be enough. Okay, that is so helpful um, in understanding kind of the Hebrew thrust of Proverbs 15.1. All right, and here's your last S. See something, say something. You may have heard this before in other places, um, but see something, say something. Now, what I am doing here is I'm going to walk you through. This is what I want you to do. Okay. James one tells us not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Okay. And so I've been telling you, how do you observe it? How do you see it? Who are you actually going to be dealing with it? But now what do we do? Okay. Okay. Cool. You're going to ask questions, number one. Like I said, you mad, bro? Probably not the question you're going to ask, okay? But actually bringing it up to them, I see that you're getting upset. Can you tell me why that you're getting, why you're getting angry in this moment? And see how I say it, cool, calm, and collected. Not if their voice is raised, I'm like, why are you mad? Why are you yelling at me? Right? It's, hey, You can hear by how I'm reacting to your voice that your voice is probably out of line. Why are you getting angry? Okay. Now, Jesus shows this. I love this in Mark 9 when all the disciples are yelling at each other or getting mad, upset, in conflict about who's the best, right? And what's going to happen to them. And then Jesus just asks one question. What were you guys talking about? And it's like, boop, it's done, right? They're like, never mind. It's all good. We, we took care of it, Jesus. Like, you don't need to, you don't need to ask any more questions, right? Okay. So follow Christ. Ask a good question, right? Um, they kept silent, uh, right? For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Oh, Jesus is so good. Um, so Christ shows us a timely question can diffuse a potentially explosive situation. Okay. Number two, summarize. As somebody is getting verbally explosive, raising their voice, whatever they might be doing, you need to summarize what they said. Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is, it is his folly and shame. Okay? So, when someone's getting really agitated, it's really easy to just summarize. I heard you say this. Am I understanding you correctly? And sometimes they're getting mad because you're not getting what they're putting down. You keep saying this. That's not what I'm saying. Please stop saying. Okay, what I heard you say is that I'm misunderstanding uh, what you're trying to tell me. Would you explain it to me maybe in a, in a gentler voice so I can, I can hear you better? Okay? This is stuff that you guys are already doing. But just helping you realize 
Yeah, we, we, need to, we need to use these tools to our advantage. Number three, use Scripture. Okay? So, not in the moment. You're not the Bible thumper in the moment, right? Where they're yelling at you and you're like, but wait! Read this! Right? Let me read it. Let me yell it over you. No. Get it to, get it to be where you can actually speak to somebody. And then when you do, help them realize their folly and shame. By giving them scripture, right? We look at Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation, right? We go to Romans 10, 17. How will they know if they don't hear, right? We are going to give them the word of God. You can go through all those Proverbs again that we've already talked about. But you want to make sure that you're not just calming a situation down so it'll be done, but you're going to bring the implanted word to bear on their situation. Okay. Not that one yet. Mind your paralinguistic data. I just wanted to say paralinguistic again, okay? Um, I, I was going to show a video, but I'm not technically uh, inclined, as these dear godly people know in the front row. Uh, they've known me for a long time. Uh, I usually don't even put PowerPoints together, so you should be amazed uh, at what you're seeing. But um, who's watched the IBCD uh, observation videos? Has anyone watched those? Okay, okay. Anybody else? Yes, I've seen... Okay, okay, awesome. There's a lot of you that have. Um, Jim Neuheiser has this married couple that he walks through. I see a smile, so we're remembering. This dude's out of control. Like, he is so angry. His face turns red, right? He's a great actor. Because I... Newsflash, I don't think these are real people walking through this, okay? Um, some of you are like, don't do that. I've been, you know... Anyways, okay. Um... But he, he gets so mad, and what Jim Neuheiser does so well is that he hears this paralinguistic data, right? His voice is quick, it's, it's loud, it's repetitive, uh, it's just like bam, 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 really loud. And Jim Neuheiser goes, hey, I just want you to hear that you're getting a little bit agitated. Like his voice just, right? And in the moment, the guy's like, whatever, you know? Like, And by the end of it, he's like, I'm glad that you told me that, right? And so I'm not saying you're going to say this and then all of a sudden it's just perfect, right? Um, but uh, people will come to realize that this was helpful. A, a great quote from Robert Jones again, when we fail to respond in godly ways, we provoke anger from others. Conflict escalates, calmness evaporates, clamor erupts, okay? That's for you too. So, uh, your other S, oh no, this is still under say, see something, say something, take a break, okay? Um, the quote in there is from uh, Paul David Tripp, emotional thinking. We don't do our best thinking in the middle of suffering, difficulty, and distress. We don't think clearly when our emotions are raging. We forget what we've learned about God and ourselves when we find ourselves in trouble. It is a sweet grace to have someone come alongside us and help us remember what we need to remember. So if, if, this is, if you're able to do this within your session, and I've done this, I've said, guys, we're taking a break. You guys go get some water. Use the bathroom and pray for about five to ten minutes and we'll come back. And I sent them off to different parts of the church, right? Uh, for us, that's really easy right now because it's typically like only me and maybe one other person in the church. So I'm like, you're in the fellowship hall, you're in the sanctuary, and you're going to the junior high room because that's what you're acting like. Um, uh, but, right, we're going, we're going to take a break. Allow time to do some of the diffusing for you. Because you might really need that. And then finally, get help. Um, guys, you are not the answer to every situation. Um, you are, are a fallible human being, just like me. And sometimes we are out of our depth and we need help. Sometimes you might actually have to call the police. Um, I spoke to a, a dear brother who has a counseling center in California and we were talking about this, and that day that I had spoken to him, he said, I just had to call the police and have the husband arrested uh, while we were in the middle of this counseling session because of what happened. So I'm not trying to say this to scare you, but I am saying you might need to get help, and that's okay. All right, guys, we are over time. Um, but thank you uh, for being a great group and listening. Hopefully this can be helpful for you. Um, this was going to be my video. Sorry, uh, we don't have time for that. So uh, go eat some lunch. Let me pray for you as you leave.
Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful that even though we will not be perfect in de-escalation, we will fail in de-escalation, we have a mediator in Christ who is perfect and did the work of de-escalation that none of us could do, which was satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf. May these people leave this room with that joy of of all glory being to Christ, like we sang earlier together. And may they enjoy food and fellowship and, and get full tummies as they continue to work at, at growing in, in all of their tools of the trade to be godly men and women who counsel and teach your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.